few Bibles there in the pews. We're going to be studying from the Word of God as we do each and every week. And I invite you to open up your Bible and study along as we begin here in just a moment. Well, the lowest body of water found on earth is the Dead Sea. Uh, This area is about 1,400 feet below sea level. The surrounding area is very dry and hot. And the area where the Dead Sea is may only get a couple of inches of rain per year. When clouds do roll in, while they may seem or appear that they're going to provide rain, they often provide very little. In fact, you could refer to them as clouds without water. They look very promising, but in the end, they don't really have that much to offer, at least in that area. I say that because the phrase clouds without water is a phrase that's actually found in the Word of God. It's found in a book or a letter, I should say, and I like to describe this letter as a forgotten letter. It's a letter that we often overlook, or maybe we don't overlook it, but we probably are not going to be reading this letter when we wake up tomorrow morning or during our lunch hour or something like that. This letter that I'm referring to is tucked in between 3 John and the book of Revelation. I'm referring to the letter of Jude or from Jude. And our study this morning is going to be from this short letter. There's only 25 verses. We read about this phrase or we see this phrase, clouds without water, in verse number 12. When Jude spoke about this, clouds without water, what he's doing, he's talking about some individuals. And he's going to describe them as clouds without water. I want to look at verses 12 and 13 in Jude. In verse number 12, Jude said this, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, here it is, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, that doesn't sound good, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Very dark and vivid language, isn't it? These men that he refers to, they are described as being like clouds without water, but who exactly were these men? And why is Jude talking about these individuals who are, who are doubly dead and uprooted and without fruit? The language here is powerful and hopefully should get us to think about some things in our lives. But we need to know some things about the letter from Jude if we're going to be able to answer these questions. I mentioned earlier that Jude is a letter that is often overlooked. Why did Jude even write this letter? Uh, We know that it is inspired. It is part of the scriptures. It is part of the 66 books in the Bible. But many times we may not be too familiar with this letter. So what I want to do this morning, I want to walk us through this letter from Jude. Now, if you've been doing your Bible reading, then you already got a head start because we read from Jude a couple of weeks ago. And so maybe you've already read this and maybe you have some questions along the way. I want us to dive through these 25 verses and I want us to see what can we learn from this forgotten letter. There is great application for all of us in our lives. It's in the word of God. And so we need to know what this letter is all about. So let's begin in verse number one. I want to just give you some background information here. As we look at the introduction to the letter, we're going to find out exactly why Jude was writing this letter. Listen to what he said. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Obviously, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who have been called by the gospel. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation... 
When he speaks about the common salvation, he's not saying that salvation is not really a big deal or anything like that, but rather salvation, that, it, that all can have this salvation in Jesus Christ. What we find is that Jude said, initially, I was writing this letter to, to the saints, and his initial goal was to remind them about their common salvation. But he would change the reason as to why he would write this letter. He said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. And I believe this is the main point of this letter that he's going to drive home that they were to contend for the faith. So that's going to be our main focus this morning, this idea of contending for the faith. He said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which is once for all handed it down to the saints. Now the question is why? Why did he tell them or why did he felt so uh, so necessary? Why was it so necessary for him to, to write this concerning the faith? Look at verse number four. He said, for certain persons, and I believe these are the individuals that he was describing as clouds without water, for certain purpose, persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness or lewdness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So we find that Jude was writing this letter because there were some who had crept in. There were some who were abusing the grace of God, and he was warning them about the influence of these men. He was warning them about their false beha- or their wicked behavior and how they needed to be on guard. And what you find from verses 5 through 19, Jude is going to continue to talk about these men. And the way that he describes them, the images that he gives and the examples that he gives are pretty powerful. What you find in this short little letter is that he would often uh, group things up into threes. For example, in verse number five, six, and seven, he's going to look at three different examples. The Israelites, uh, the angels who did not keep their proper abode in Sodom and Gomorrah, all to demonstrate the wickedness of these men that he's warning them about. Look at verse number five. He said, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own abode or domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men, the men that he referred to back in verse 4, the men that he's talking about in verses 12 and 13, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. So he used those three examples of how the Israelites, how they once believed but no longer believed, how the angels did not keep their proper abode, they rejected the authority of God, and Sodom and Gomorrah who were engaged in gross immorality, homosexuality uh, during that time, how they were also destroyed. He's using those examples to point this terrible picture of these men that the saints need to be aware of, the mindset of these individuals. And so he's going to warn the Christians in the first century that they need to contend for the faith because there are some who are going to reject the authority of God. And there are some who are going to try to influence the people of God. He does this all throughout this short letter. 
This letter is powerful, and there are many questions that people have from this letter. I cannot answer every question. Uh, I have questions in this letter or from this letter. I have questions about Enoch that he mentions in verse number 14. I have questions about the, the body of Moses in verse number 9. We can't answer every single question, but we do know some things from this letter. From this letter, we know that we are to contend for the faith. But what does that exactly look like? And when, when Jude says the faith, what is he talking about? And the enemies, we need to know some more things about the enemies that are, that are going to attack us the same way that they attacked the people of God in the first century. And how do we contend for the faith? While we can know some things about the faith, what does that actually look like contending for the faith? All those answers are given to us in this short little letter, this forgotten letter. This letter should motivate us. This letter should help us and encourage us to understand the seriousness of the faith, the importance of the faith, of what we have and who we are in Jesus Christ. So let's take a look and let's answer some questions along the way. What is the faith? Jude made it very clear. You contend for the faith. That's what he's emphasizing in this letter. When you talk about the faith, we could say this pertaining to the faith. Get the clicker here. We'll get it. There it is. Uh, The faith is the objective body of truth from Christ delivered by the inspired apostles that is to be followed. I think that's a good working definition of the faith. When we think about the faith, there are some other things to consider. Number one, the faith is not subjective, but it is objective in nature. It is something that is distinct. It is something that is identifiable. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. Quickly turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you real quickly just to read along with me or you can listen. I want to give you four verses here in Ephesians chapter 4, which help us to understand some more things about the faith. Paul said in Ephesians 4, in verse number 4 and 5, he said, there's one body and one spirit, just also as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. There it is right there. So it is distinct and identifiable in nature. There is one faith. Look over in Acts chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse number 7. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7. Remember, there are many who are being converted to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse number 7, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So the faith is something that is distinct. It's identifiable. It is something that men and women can obey. Look over in Galatians chapter 1. I want you to notice in verse number 23. Galatians chapter 1, verse number uh, 23. I want you to notice what Paul says here concerning the faith. In Galatians 1 and verse number 23, Paul said, but only they kept hearing, talking about those who had heard some things about him, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. So the faith is distinct. It's identifiable. It's singular in nature. It is something that can be obeyed. And as Paul said here, it is something that can be preached. Brothers and sisters, the faith is something that can be denied if people so choose to. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, listen to what the Holy Spirit says. The Bible says, the Holy Spirit says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, which means that those who have been obedient to the faith through the preaching of the faith can one day, if not careful, fall away from the faith. 
Jude, in Jude verse number 3, when he speaks about contending for the faith, this is what he is talking about here. And he wanted the Christians to understand that the faith was something that was serious in nature, something that they needed to appreciate, and something that they needed to be diligent to contend, to fight for, no matter what. They were to contend for the faith. Now go back to Jude in verse number three. I want you to notice the last part of verse number three. Listen to what he said pertaining to the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. That's important too, because as we learn more about the faith, what Jude is teaching us here is that the faith has been once for all delivered. It denotes finality or completion, that just as Christ died once for all sins, we talk, uh, heard that in, our, in the Lord's Supper, Hebrews 9 and verse 28, he died once for all, for all sins. The faith has been delivered and is complete. And that's very important. There are many people who have a lot of zeal, but not according to knowledge. In years past, I've studied with, with Mormons before, and they say, well, listen, the Bible, yeah, the Bible, the Bible is the word of God and... And, and this book is also the word of God. But what Jude is saying here, he was anticipating no new revelation. And so this is why we need to understand the faith that what we have here is complete. And what we have pertaining to faith in Jesus and what we need to do to obey Jesus and to follow him, we have, we, we're not missing anything. Everything that we need is right here in this book. So there's nothing else that we should be looking forward to or to follow because the faith has been delivered once for all. And that's important for us to know. It's important for us to understand that Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, uh, what they have done for us is a really big deal. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The apostles suffered and died because of the faith. The Holy Spirit has preserved the faith for all of us to follow. And therefore, we need to fight for it. This is what Jude was saying that they needed to fight for, that they needed to fight for the faith which has been delivered once for all. Now, let's look at some of the enemies, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, that the enemies that they were going to fight against are going to be the same type of enemies that we have. When you look in the Old Testament, when you look in the New Testament, when you look around today, the people of God have enemies. Do you believe that? There are people who are opposed to the teaching of God's word. There are people who are opposed to the fact that we believe that God is real, that we teach that God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus rose from the grave. And whether we like to believe it or not, there are people who are going to try to attack us. Well, they may not attack us physically, but they're going to try to attack us. They're going to try to get us to become deceived and maybe to doubt in what God has said. And brothers and sisters, we can't allow that to happen. We need to be aware. We cannot be deceived. And so when you look at this letter from Jude, Jude helps us to see the type of attacks, the type of people that we're going to be faced in our lives. Let's consider some. Those who hate righteousness are going to come after the people of God. And I believe I'm going to show you that in here in the book of Jude in just a second. Those who love the things of the world. Uh, they're going to oppose often the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and those who love themselves will often oppose the people of God. Let me tell you why I'm saying this. In verse number 11, as Jude was talking about these men who were uh, disobedient, who rejected authority, who were very similar to those in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Israelites who decided not to believe in God, and the angels who rejected their, their proper abode or domain, he describes these wicked men. Look at verse number 11. He said, woe to them. Anytime you see woe, that's not good, all right? <laughs> you see that all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, woe to them. 
He's talking about these men. For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. It's interesting that Jude used three. There's another example of these threes that he uses. He used three examples from the Old Testament, three men from the Old Testament. First, he talked about the way of Cain. We know a lot about Cain, right? We know the story of Cain and Abel. But he's driving home a bigger point about the story with Cain and Abel. He's talking about the type of heart that Cain had. Cain was filled with anger, and he opposed the righteousness of God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 12, just a couple of pages before Jude, in 1 John chapter 3, and verse, actually look at verses 11 and 12, John says this, he said, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. So we see the problem that Cain had. He didn't love his brother. And what John is saying is we need to love one another. He said, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Cain was following the path of the devil. He didn't love his brother. And so when you go back to Jude and he says, for they have gone the way of Cain, he's showing what these men looked like and the type of hearts that they had that he was warning them about. These were the men that were going to oppose God's people. And brothers and sisters, there are individuals today who are just like Cain, who have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam. We read about Balaam in the Old Testament. Look over in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 15. We don't have time to look at all the passages in the Old Testament, but Peter is very similar to Jude, and he summarizes what took place with Balaam. In 2 Peter 2 and verse number 15, as Peter talked about those who would follow the path of unrighteousness, he said, forsaking the way, the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam was opposed to the people of God in the Old Testament. And he tried to get the people of God to become defeated uh, through immorality. And what Jude is saying here, these are the same type of, of individuals that the saints in the first century were going to have to face. And this is the mindset that many people have even today. He talked about Cain. He talked about Balaam. And thirdly, he talked about Korah. Korah is mentioned in Numbers chapter 16. He was from the tribe of Levi. And Korah had great uh, power and authority in the Old Testament. And yet he was not satisfied. He sought more power, entitlement, and he rejected authority. Because he was more concerned about himself than following in the paths of God. He went against Moses and he went against Aaron. He was opposed to the leadership that God had established. And so these three examples help us to see what the saints would be up against in the first century. Those who, who hate righteousness, those who love the world, and those who love themselves. Well, nothing really has changed. While it's 2018, nothing really has changed. God wants us to contend for the faith. And he wants us to know that we're going to have people that are going to come after us, that there are going to be battles and challenges along the way. And you really, when you really start to think about this, this may come from family. It may come from friends. It may even come from the so-called faithful. And this is something that we just need to be aware of. Like Cain, there are going to be people who are angry because we seek to follow the righteousness of God. And they may attack us because we wish to keep the commandments of God and to do what God wants us to do, whether it's in worship or in our daily lives. They forget about God's grace, and maybe they abuse the grace of God. Maybe they say it doesn't really matter what you do or how you do it when it comes to serving God. 
They're opposed to the righteousness of God. We need to be aware of these types of individuals. And there are some who are going to be like Balaam who love the wages of unrighteousness. In the name of love and happiness and political correctness, they'll seek to change the teaching regarding whatever you want to describe, whether it's sexuality, whether it's the will of God, whether it's how we raise our children, whatever the case may be. But they will seek to destroy us and seek to influence us not to listen to God, but rather to listen to the things of the world. And I will tell you, Balaam, he deceived the Israelites in the Old Testament. Remember, I believe it's in Numbers 25 or 26, when the Israelites, they were engaged in sexual immorality with the the Moabite women. And Phineas had to come in and he had great zeal and he destroyed, he killed some of those men who were engaged in that uh, immoral sexuality. Uh, That's what sadly happens with a lot of Christians today where we allow the things of the world to, to influence us and to view things the wrong way. Instead of viewing things from a biblical perspective, we allow things of the world to influence us. And brothers and sisters, this is an attack of the devil, and it's something that we need to be aware of. And there are going to be people just like Korah who oppose authority, who reject authority as a whole. Many people today don't want to submit to God, are not going to submit to Jesus Christ because they want to do their own thing. And that's a great danger for the people of God, this idea of rejecting authority. Well, why do I have to do it that way? Well, because God says so. And not only when it comes to God, but many times, and this happens in local congregations. Many say, well, I don't have to listen to what the elders want, me to, want, want us to do. Why do I have to listen to them? Many people today will even reject the authority of shepherds in local congregations because they're not satisfied or they only seek to produce division because they're devoid of the Spirit. These things were happening in the, in, in the Old Testament, in the days of Korah. And what Jude is saying, these were men that were trying to influence the people of God in the first century. And these type of individuals or mindsets are things that we need to be aware of because if not careful, we too can be deceived. These types of individuals seek to destroy the faith. They don't seek unity. They don't seek to uplift the people of God. Rather, they seek to destroy the people of God. Maybe a bigger question is, are we destroying the faith? It's easy to talk about people or hypothetical situations and things like that, but what is our disposition when it comes to the righteousness of God? What is our mentality when it comes to submitting to the authority of God and what he says in his word, whatever the case may be? What is our attitude and mindset when it comes to living in a way that is going to be pure and holy in his sight? You see, we got to make sure that we're not trying to destroy the faith or attack those who are striving to do what is right. Because if we are, then woe to us. That was the warning that Jude was giving. Woe to these individuals who go down this path. And he makes it very clear that hell is essentially waiting for these individuals. This idea of doubly dead, uprooted, the black darkness has been reserved forever. People who go against God's will and fight against God. They're headed down the wrong direction. And so these are the types of attacks that the people of God need to be aware of. We need to be aware of this as we contend for the faith. The faith is so important that Jude said, I need to make sure you understand this. I need to make sure that you're not deceived. I need to make sure that you know this and that you're firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. But that begs one more question. How do we actually contend for the faith? We know that we're supposed to contend for the faith, but how do we actually do that? Have you thought about that? What does that look like where we actually contend 
for the faith. I'm going to give you a couple suggestions from Jude. Number one, we contend for the faith by knowing the faith. <laughs> we can't contend for it if we don't know what it's all about. Remember in Jude in verse number three, or verse number, yeah, verse number three, he said, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. The saints knew the faith. They knew the importance of the faith, and they knew that they needed to contend for it. They knew the words of the apostles. Look at verse number 17. What Jude will do, he's actually going to remind them about the words of the apostles. He said, but you beloved ought to remember that there were spoken uh, beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you. And the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. He's reminding them of the words of the apostles. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to contend for the faith, then we have to make sure that we know the faith, which means that we're going to have to be in the word of God. We need to be in the word of God. We need to be studying the word of God. And we need to be sure that we're staying connected to the word of God. That's how we're going to be able to contend for the faith. Number one, we have to make sure that we know the faith, which means we're going to have to put some time into studying God's word. Number two, for us to contend for the faith, let us never be ashamed of the faith. Let us never be ashamed of the faith that has been delivered once for all. Jude recognized the value of the faith, the importance of the faith. He knew the price that Jesus paid so that all could enjoy this common salvation. And for us, brothers and sisters, let us never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Young people, you need to know that, that what you believe is not silly. What you believe is true. What you believe is based upon evidence. What you believe is based upon facts. And there are, there are people in schools and high school and college and, and even for grown people for that matter, adults, that are going to try to ridicule your faith and, and try to get you to believe that maybe what I am following isn't, isn't, really, isn't really true. Never be ashamed of the faith. Never be ashamed to let people know that Jesus is the way to salvation. Never be ashamed to, to let people know that worship to God is a big deal and how we worship God is a big deal. Never be ashamed to talk about heaven and hell. Don't be ashamed of that. Jude was not ashamed of the faith. My friends, let us never be ashamed. Let us never be ashamed of keeping the commandments of God. While we are saved by God's grace, the grace of God should motivate us to keep the commandments of God. Many people say, well, it doesn't really matter if you keep his commandments or not. It does. Let us never be ashamed to preach what the Bible has to say. That's how we can contend for the faith. And thirdly, we got to practice the faith. We got to practice what we preach. We not only need to know it, but fight for it. And then we're going to have to practice it. In verse number 20, notice what he said here. He said, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. There was a growth that was taking place, a, 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 a progression in the lives of these Christians, and they were practicing the things that they had believed. He said, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You see, they didn't just hear the faith and obey it and then just kind of leave it behind. They continued to grow in the faith. 
which means that this is a lifelong journey. It's a process, and we continue to grow. We continue to practice and do the things that we have learned. I love what he said in verse 1. If you have a pencil or pen, circle the word. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says kept. He said to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And then make a line to verse number 21 where he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. I love that because he says you have been, you are kept for Jesus Christ. You're in Jesus Christ. But then he says in verse 20, now keep yourselves in the love of God. Yeah, you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Now make sure you remain with Jesus. Keep yourselves in the love of God and continue to grow. Practice the things that you're learning. Practice the things that you're hearing and never Never, never stop following and obeying the faith. This is how we contend for the faith. We, we know it. We're not ashamed of it. We practice it. And finally, we help others return to the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is very important for us that we don't give up on one another. We help one another. We help those who are in danger of being lost. You look at verse number 22. He said, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. What he's saying is you help one another. You, you help that brother or sister who may be struggling, and you assist them. And this is how we can contend for the faith. We help others return to the faith. We help one another by prayer and by teaching and by by assisting them, and even when necessary, through church discipline. We help them, and this is how we're going to be able to contend for the faith. The faith is a big deal. It was a big deal for Jude that he changed his entire thought and said, this is what I want you to focus upon. I want you to contend for the faith. And we have to do the same because of what is at stake. Souls are hanging in the balance. And the fact that Jude wrote this, he meant that, that saints could potentially be in danger of losing their salvation. And so he was warning them about those who would oppose them. He's warning them about how they live. He's warning them about how they assist and help one another. And it's a warning for us today. Let us, as the people of God, make sure that we contend for the faith. We contend for the faith because one day God is going to judge all men. Do you believe that? I know we all believe that. I know we're all going to say yes, but we've got we to gotta live that because God is coming back. And you know what? Hell is real. Many people don't talk about hell anymore, but hell is real. And he's emphasis, he already emphasized that in verse number 13. He said, for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. This is why this is such a big deal because hell is real. And there's a special place of darkness who deny Jesus Christ. And let us be sure that that never happens to us. I know that can be dark and gloomy, so let me end on a positive note. While hell is real, so is heaven and salvation in Jesus Christ and being with God one day for eternity. Listen to what he said in verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we can be with the one who has all power and authority both now and forever. We can be with him in heaven. When we remain steadfast with him, when we are obedient to his will, and when we don't allow the devil to get us off track, let's make sure that we hold on to these great promises that we have, and let's be sure that we remember these warnings that has been given to us 
from this forgotten letter. Contend for the faith. As you go out into your week, contend for the faith. Be faithful. Come back tonight and let's all worship together as a family. Let's encourage one another. Let's support each other. And let's do the will of God. If you're not in Jesus Christ, now is your time. You need to obey the faith. You need to put on Christ through baptism. You need to turn away from your sins. And you need to walk with him for the rest of your life. You need to allow him to lead you. You need to submit to his will. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be or shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be condemned. He wants all men to be saved. And you have an opportunity right here, right now to be saved. Is that you? If you need to be saved, come now as we stand and as we sing.